0: The rich, neolibs are a bitch.
1: Medicare for all. Bros can suck my balls.
0: Fuck your reply guys. Please don't fuck your reply guys. Just listen to reply guys. And welcome back to Reply, guys. So, for our listeners, Julia is out this week because she is home dealing with some stuff with her mom and her cop dad, and she will be back for our next episode. Uh, and we miss her, but she is she is coming back um, next week. And for now, I just I really am so so excited about the guest that we have this week. Um, you know we've had a lot of shows lately we're really diving into some very very serious stuff and this week we are mixing it up with one of my favorite comedians uh that i am so excited please uh well you you i feel like i was like introducing i for some reason comedy made me feel like i was introducing you on stage like please give it up for chris gethard but it's literally a podcast hello chris gethard
1: (laughs) hello thank you so much for having me and kind words and i'm a a big fan of yours as well and i remember when i first um i'm not sure which year you moved to new york but i remember when i we i first started seeing you having that thought of like oh like this is another person who seems to occupy similar space
0: like uh soy boy spaces
1: (laughs) a little bit but like also like like um you know everything's become so polarized and weird in in the comedy scene and and I, I always felt like you were one of those people that was like I've got the things I want to say I'm just gonna focus on saying them and I, I never got the sense that you were like how would I say it and I don't know because we've crossed paths so many times and done shows and I've always been quite funny of you but we don't know each other all that well but I, I always got the sense that like the scenester side of it was not an important thing to you and and it's about doing shows, getting your points across, building the material, and putting in the work.
0: And, yeah, and- I, I I definitely think that I, I'm someone that is I, I was a little bit I think more because it's like on the kind of socially anxious side before COVID, especially, and now yeah. that comedy is coming back, I'm a little bit more like, oh wait, actually, let's all hang out. There were these cool people. But
1: have you have you done? Um, have you been doing any shows lately?
0: I've been doing a lot of outdoor shows and a little bit of indoor, but not yeah. so much um, uh, indoor until, like, my I think my second vaccination was, like, fully effective uh, two weeks ago or something. How about you?
1: Very, very similar timeline. And I had actually not even really been doing outdoor shows because I moved, I moved out to Jersey, so it was, like, driving into the city. So much. Yeah, it's a tall order for and outdoor shows. God bless them, but you never quite know how they're going to go. So I'm like, I don't know that I can like leave my wife with the baby and drive all the way into the city if I'm not sure it's going to be a good experience. And then I did an indoor show with uh, Christy Cello at Littlefield, and then I did I did a show uh, that Rojo Perez was hosting actually at the old UCB space, which was a trip for me since I I came up there. Yeah, yeah, and I have to say, like, they felt good it felt good and, and kind of to remember that the job is to connect with people in the room because um, I was getting like I said like I'm sure I don't know how you're like all the think pieces about comedy I'm like getting tired and then you know I feel like then there's people who capitalize on that and and exacerbate it for gain and ticket sales and stuff and I'm like oh boy and you know some sometimes sometimes they do not like me And that's perfectly fine, but it's. uh, I was getting very, very tired of sort of being in the comedy scene. So to do shows and be like, right, like, I can shut all that out and just get people laughing, and that feels good. So, yeah.
0: I completely agree with you. Um, We're kind of joking around about this a minute ago, but I really do feel like in comedy, you know, for really, you know, Since Trump got elected, uh, but you know, kind of particularly over the pandemic. Um, this, like, right-wing comedy thing that's been mm-hmm. emerging, it's almost mm-hmm. starting to feel like it's become so extreme that it's sort of, like, a, a separate, horrible art form. Like, it's, like, a like, you know, chimpanzees and apes or something. Like, they're, they were originally maybe kind of from the same ancestor, right. but it's not similar right. anymore, you know?
1: Yeah, and they've, they, you know, I, I think you're right. It might be getting big enough that it's building its own scene, which is, uh you know, has, it has its ups and like, you know, like you're concerned at what it's fanning the flames of, but also like happy to say like, yeah, I don't like, I don't need to be in the conversation. Like, it's all good. Go do you. And I, I, well, I feel, and I, I certainly need to say like there's awful things and people who are not, you know, people, people who are inflammatory to, uh, in, in my opinion, fill in maybe talent that's not there to be frank yes but then there's also there's also a side of me that's like anything that's extreme part of my problem in comedy is there are people who try in good faith to make good points where they stick their neck out and say things that are risky and even from some of that wing of comedy i I, there there are people who do it but then my problem is then then there's a feeding frenzy of people who see how that goes and just try to go make money off of it and go okay and here's the easy path where i'm not trying to make a point and i'm not taking any personal risk and i'm just taking the easy route that someone else established by sticking their neck out and that's when you go this invalidates this invalidates any part of the conversation that used to be valid and that that sucks for everybody
0: yeah we got um, some like comedy and cultures coming coming around then, you know and
1: yeah. then there also is a side it, it, i would say that on the other end of the extreme the thing that bums me out is that's the side that i totally support the values of and where people are making the points that i agree with and then you still see and then you go oh and then there's the there's those people who aren't taking the risks to say that and are are capitalizing on like cap basically right anytime the word capitalizing comes up i go there's i worry i worry about this and you worry that like you worry that the people who aren't really going for that are just trying to sell tickets by associating with it yeah and uh, and i'm no revolutionary and my act is certainly not one that's like you know there was a stretch where i took like i think my mental health you know cruise suicide special had a lot to say but at this point the truth of my life is like raising a baby in lawn care so that's that's my act right now and i'm not i'm i'm certainly not trying to slam anybody who's making an effort to improve the world uh, but it's it certainly the one, the ones who are piggybacking on those people. I, I, I worry so hard. I worry so hard. That was rambly. I'm a no, rambling I, mess. I, I totally, apologize.
0: No, I totally understand. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, I get what you mean. Because, it, like, you know, they're... Obviously, like, the people who are, like, making, like, Nazi comedy are uh, no very, bueno. very, very horrible. Um, yeah. But I also... I I, I don't know if this is exactly what you were saying but one thing I was thinking about when you were saying it is that like the people who are like doing like super claptor comedy where it's like maybe they're using like an issue to be like you know okay like this is my brand is that I uh, you know for example I'll just give an example that um, like I feel like I've felt myself kind of fall into sometimes is like I'm a feminist and that's my you know that's my thing, but it's like no, right. I I am a feminist, but like, you well, know, that's, that's not like a brand, you know.
1: Well, and and it's funny because I I've seen your act, and I agree, and and I, one person who I really really love is Marsha Belsky.
0: I love her too. Yeah, she rules. Love
1: her, who I mean, who talk about feminism as my mission statement, maybe brand, but I've said to Marsha, I'm like, I, I always love watching you because i always feel like you are bringing the heat and that you really like you're making sure that those jokes crush and you're not faking any of this and you're not using this to get anybody on your side like this is all true to you and i and and that's the difference right it's like is this really true to you or are you piggybacking because that waters down the message in a dangerous way or you need to double down and commit but i, I certainly like i've seen i've seen your act and Marsha's act and you know when when patty harrison was in new york it was just instantly, so funny it was, holy yeah. shit like so funny but also has that fire in the guts that i used to have you know and that that i understand that i need to get out of the way a little bit and just live my truth and and like you know and and so many other people so many other people do not get me wrong uh Monroe Martin right now who I think is much more of a club act than some of the people we're we're naming who his act lately I've seen him a bunch of times and I'm going that's that's fucking so honest so truthful Roy Wood Jr. one of my favorite 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 people yeah like I just watch it, go, holy shit. So don't get me wrong. There's people where I go, you are doing the work and you are on the right side of the line. And I uh, marvel at it and bow down to it because it's, it's beyond my capabilities. And let me say before any griping about the scene and any like parasitic nature of it, let me say like, there are a lot of people who are in attack mode in the right direction and landing jokes. And that's inspirational.
0: I I I totally agree with you. Um, I'm so inspired by people who like, you know, do comedy that like that it is about the things that they feel passionate about, including the issues that they're passionate about. However. You know, like one thing that I can say that I'm so glad to see go is like Trump era comedy, where like oh, every yeah. time you turn on like any late night TV show, it was like Orange Guy bad, and you know obviously he was really bad. I'm you know this is this podcast has we you know talked shit about Trump. I am a lot, lot. but um, except that we we did say he's the greatest reply guy of all time. Uh, but uh-huh. he's uh-huh. a very 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 bad man. But um, I am, you know, there was definitely like a kind of tedium, like during Trump era, where people were just yes. kind of like regurgitating the same political opinion, and there wasn't just. I don't know. There wasn't really like any like you know inspiration behind it. It's like yes, yeah. it, it completely sucks to be like a a Trump supporter or something. But like there was just kind of no deeper thought to like to it. Yes, than these people are idiots. You know.
1: This is the type of thing I'm talking about because it's 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 not even just like oh the jokes are boring. It's like if. If if there's not inspiration here, and there's not a fire in the guts, and a reason to do this beyond just exactly what you just said, all that does, in my opinion, is add static.
0: Yeah. It just
1: adds static that's hard to slice through, and uh, and yeah, that that's something that that's something I worry about. It's like let's not just add static to the conversation that makes it harder to sort out. Um, slice through your shit. Say what you have to say. But- and again, from someone whose act right now is paper thin in the sense of what we're talking about, but well, I think I did have a stretch where there were some things I felt like I really, really needed to say, and and I uh, I said them, and it's all it's all, all any I feel like I'm talking shit, which is not really you know me well enough to know it, not really my style. You're not a uh, shit talker, no. And I'm not trying to be but one. But I don't now. really it, think it,
0: you're talking shit right now either. It's very no, measured. I, it's it's close.
1: It's as about as close as I get. It, it's more just like, man, I, I really think what we do as comedians, there, you can set off conversations, and yeah. I want I want to see the people who are really trying to do that have the most agency to do so, and not get lost in a static, like I said. Anyway, anyway, it's hope. It's hope is what it is.
0: Well, I, you know, one thing that I'm kind of thinking about as you're talking, you know, I I do think that, you, you know, you're you're special it, it had a lot to to do with people starting to have a more open discussion about mental health and in a way something has happened that I think is kind of similar to what happened with feminism to where like there are these issues that people didn't talk about for a long time and then all of a sudden they got talked about people in comedy were doing really cool really cool stuff and then like a second later corporations like co-opted and commercialized the message to where like now it's gone from like you know if you're depressed never talk about it it's not okay to see a counselor to like there was like a hot second where people were like actually a lot of people are dealing with this and it shouldn't be stigmatized you know to now like we have like corporations that are doing um you, you know like i had i got invited to like a this corporation i was working for uh like a meeting about like you know self care and it was called like you are not alone and i was just like shut up and it's the same thing with feminism too where it's like right. feminism the brand and it's very annoying to me yeah like
1: when you're when you're seeing like feminine, fem like feminist rallying cry super bowl commercials yeah
0: it's terrible <laughs> yeah.
1: that's when you cuz the only reason a corporation would ever do things like that is because they make money yeah i do not i i believe that corporations and people within them might make an effort to make things better and good and i'm glad to see it's happening but ultimately none of that would be allowed if it wasn't good for the bottom line it i think maybe enough people have worked hard that they've made social change profitable for corporations But the corporations are not the good guys. The corporations are like money-eating machines. And people have been vocal enough and rattled enough chains that they've actually made some of these social issues. Like some accountant, probably more like a room of accountants, have sat there and crunched numbers and said like, the focus groups are telling us that feminism is going to sell our soda. Like that's yeah. that's a conversation I bet that I bet that's been had.
0: Yeah, I absolutely. Had. I mean, we saw like you know last summer, um, you know, all, all these corporations tweeting about, you know, like Black Lives Matter, and then it's like their labor practices are actually super, super oppressive, you know, and mm-hmm. are actually hurting a lot of people of color and you know it but it is like that thing where you know their messaging is like like uber for example um i forgot what they were they were what's said exactly but they were very much trying to you know capitalize off uh black lives matter as a as a movement while also like working really hard to make sure um that many of their black and brown contractors were paid like way less than the minimum wage so Yeah. yeah it's just it is it is frustrating and i feel like comedy is like the exact sort of like you get like activism and then like certain ideas will be talked about in activist spaces, and then maybe it goes over to like the kind of comedy world, and then like two years later it's like corporations are using it as a marketing strategy and uh right. yeah.
1: Um Yeah, all of a sudden it's selling cool ranch Doritos.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh,
1: shit, man. Cool ranch of that.
0: Doritos. Yeah.
1: You gotta be careful of that, right? Because that that uh, that also opens the door to a lot of performative like that opens the door to someone going like yeah i i real i help things cuz i buy cool ranch doritos like yeah. i love the message of cool ranch doritos it's like it, you know the snack food in your cupboard is not is not accomplishing anything
0: not your razor not your aftershave not even no. uh your shoes you know
1: <laughs> and, and you know what too i just want to i want to say too like my special that, that we've referenced a couple of times it came out in 2017 and my old public access show that i think we st- we started at UCB 2009 it went to public access 2011 and that had a reputation for being like very very progressive and one thing that i'm really happy about um is like like you said like the conversation around mental health now 2021 compared to 2017 it's different i feel like if you want people who find my special today will react differently than they did if they saw me doing it off broadway in 2016 and on hbo in 2017 because it was a more shocking conversation then and my my public access show was like started with just me and some pals from ucb writing it all but they were three other white guys and i'm like there's zero world in which that show could be viewed as progressive today rightfully but in 2011 the stuff we were trying to crack open felt shocking it's like oh no like it's it's far off the grid and and you know i I will say for myself too like when the show went to cable and i was able to hire people production staff writers i i would i I, that was around like 2016 and I, i was hiring a lot of people who were different than me and I wasn't doing that. I don't think the conversation about wokeness was fully up and running. That the thing that I hate about pushback against like workplace diversity, especially in entertainment, is like I've hired a writing staff and it having it first of all, we did blind submissions. So it's not like I was picking people based on their demographic, but having more people there, I'm like, oh, it just gave me a right to do more ideas. Yeah. There were There were ideas we were able to put on screen that wouldn't have been comfortable for me to spearhead but if i can pass the ball to someone else who's a part of this who does have something to say about it that is that is what i was able to do when i was in that position and not only do i feel good that that happened and content was able to get out there but it it helped me and i think any creative person in a position to hire people and have a staff like why is there pushback against it because it's an asset in a real way beyond any buzzwords or hashtags like and and some of those hashtags are very good and have caused good change but beyond those you are helped you are you as a creator have more ability and versatility to explore more ideas it's not rocket science and i don't understand how that becomes controversial you know
0: i completely agree with you um so you know a lot of the sort of criticism of you, like efforts to diversify writer's rooms and you, any other profession but a lot of the conversations i am privy to about it are, you know entertainment are like from the you know from the right like i think someone you know there's a whole thing on Twitter that's blowing up, like literally as we're recording this of like some, you know, famous comedians saying that, you know, white guys are not going to be able to talk anymore if white, if the woke culture gets its right. way. And, so and I is, just
1: saw that today.
0: It's, I mean, to me, like, I think that's like pretty silly, especially because this particular uh, criticism was levied by like someone with a huge, 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 huge platform that is a white guy. But I'm not going to. And, and,
1: yeah. and like. I would have to imagine a net worth. Um, is it up to like a hundred million? Like
0: it's so much money. It's Absolutely. so much money. So I mean, much money. So much money. You know, and then so that's like the majority of that criticism. And then I think that you know there's like a, a kind of like a socialist criticism of justice through representation. Which I think you know gets into something that maybe is a little more fair, which is like a lot of the time, you know, um, like liberal people with huge platforms will kind of talk about you know like diversifying writer's rooms as like a a thing that you know we can do that's on par to something like you know maybe defunding the police and it's like no it's not but that doesn't mean that it's like not important to do you know it's just that these like these kind of like smaller issues of you know kind of like making you know individual workplaces more diverse we just can't let them be we can't let that be talked about as a substitute for like you know broader broader justice you know
1: yeah it's true and and then i think there's something to be said for um because that's a fascinating conversation and i'm not i'm not completely familiar with it it's really fascinating but what i will say is you get you get a person their first writing job and maybe they just Become a joke writer who's behind the scenes, and you never, you know, you never hear them, and they have a healthy career in the arts, and that's great. But I think one reason that it actually is something worth fighting for is maybe they rise through the ranks and they pitch a show that's a cultural sensation. You know what I mean? Like Modern Family was a an extremely mainstream show. As like a hipster comedian, I think I saw maybe two episodes of it, like in a hotel room or, or yeah. something, or but. Also, my parents, who were born in the you know, late 40s and early 50s, raised Catholic, extremely Catholic, saw gay couples kiss and had no problem with it. And that's pretty cool, you know? And you look that at, like, cool, yeah. You look, and that's an extremely mainstream show, let alone. You know, the conversations that surrounded Broad City back in the day, or things that Issa Rae has been doing, you know, like those can be things that lead people towards more open minds. And that's, that is important, if you ask me. But then again, I'm also in the entertainment industry.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, I think I, you know, I, I think I kind of split the difference where I'm like, no, it is really important, but it's maybe not as oh. important as like, yes people want to believe sometimes. It, will yeah. Yeah. it will not
1: save the world it will not save the world
0: and i think that like for myself like it's really you know i think like when i started doing comedy particularly like for like the first you know five six years like I really was like oh I'm gonna change people's minds with this stuff you know I'm gonna talk about abortion and like I'm gonna do it in the south and people are gonna be like whoa I've never thought about it that way but you know like I spent a lot of time in like 2020 2019 actually knocking doors for political candidates and it's so hard to change anyone's mind about anything, and it requires like real work, you know. And, and
1: and that I think that recent history and like seeing seeing what happened with the Senate races in Georgia. Yeah, you know, and everybody gives Stacey Abrams. She I think makes Stacey Abrams kind of like the biggest. And I think Stacey Abrams turns around and goes, "No, I can name ten other organizers who did." You know, like. It, And But what you see from that, what you see from people taking to the streets in any number of protests that have happened, especially after George Floyd, where it felt like a damn sort of broke with who was actually showing up. And you go, it's one person at a time. Like, you have to change one mind at a time. And if you do that relentlessly enough, you might win a Senate seat that nobody saw coming. You might... We moved to New Jersey and... We were researching where the protests were happening after after everything related to George Floyd. And my wife went to one, it was a bunch of towns away from us. Um, it was in Milburn, New Jersey. And I grew up uh, like two towns away from that town. And that is not a town where you would expect a protest relating to civil rights and and race-related issues to break out. Like it's it's a suburban town in a fine enough suburban town, but it's not a very diverse place was always my understanding. It was always a wealthy place. And you go, man, like there's a protest like that happening in Milburn, New Jersey. Like that, something's changed. Like, and that can only happen one person at a time from things like knocking on doors and things like actual one-on-one conversations that have some level of empathy in them. And it was a really long way.
0: I completely agree. Um, I do want to make sure that we get to t- talk about your recent comedy special. So I know... Oh, yeah.
1: we don't need to... Like, you're <laughs> feeling bad not plugging stuff. But no, yes, I'm not I-
0: feeling bad. I just I want to know about it. Our listeners want to know about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> but also,
1: listen, it's very kind of you. It's called Half My Life. It's coming out June 1st. It's streaming a bunch of different places. You can... If you check out my social to find them, but it will be on some of the bigger ones like Amazon and things like that Um, and smaller ones. If you I imagine a lot of your listeners are not are not thrilled about giving money to Amazon, but I'm I'm it's this distribution method that I'm nervous about, but has the potential to give some choice to people. Um, And I filmed it in 10 different small venues.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Like during 2020
1: end of 2019 Oh, okay, cool. So it might be a good look at sort of how things used to be and might remind people. Like, I'm psyched it's coming out now because I think people might watch it and go, I'm excited to get out and go to shows again. And um, a lot of uh, three of the 10 venues are now sadly closed from COVID. Um, So there's like a historical record aspect of it. And there's a whole bunch of jokes in there, a whole bunch of moments of like in between shows, killing time on the road with my friend Carmen who comes out and does shows with me and and getting depressed and sitting in traffic, and all those things you and I know about that are the completely unglamorous sides of things. And uh, I'm proud of it. And there's also I, one of the things that I've never been able to capture in filmed stand up is like I'm sort of at my best when chaos breaks out, and I'll do shows at smaller venues and like weird things happen, and I, I, I like to pour gasoline on the flame. But that doesn't show up in a special. So with this one, I, I self-funded the whole thing because I wanted to be out of the system, not someone else guiding it or giving notes or dictating what it had to be for their platform. I'm like I'm just gonna take a chance, and like we have footage of me doing a show at nine in the morning while pancakes are being served. And, That's awesome. Yeah, and like a show in Baltimore, I did where I had a I had a joke that mentioned um, that I I I, I I'm terrible at it, but my favorite workout, I take Brazilian Jiu Jitsu classes, and this girl started yelling that she was a wrestler. Her dad was a wrestling coach. And she came up on stage and, like, legitimately put me in painful moves, like, legitimately beat me up on stage a little bit. And <laughs> get to show that yes. off because we did it in this style. So, and then on top of it, like I said, I think also some, you know, some material that I worked on for six, seven, eight years. So people might like it, but we don't have to, you've let me plug it. And now we can go back to talking about things that matter, if you want, or not,
0: well, or whatever. I,
1: or if it takes us down other tangents based on your reactions, whatever.
0: I like to, you know, this is a leftist feminist comedy podcast, so we like to kind of mm-hmm. uh, do like a mixture of of all the things. Oh
1: my gosh, I'm, so I'm, sorry. the last, th- oh, are we frozen again? Hello? Hi.
0: Chris? Can you hear me?
1: I can. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's going on.
0: My internet- I've been
1: there a thousand times, believe me.
0: So before the show, we were talking a little bit about your podcast and you were telling me uh, that there was a moment on your podcast when you learned more about prison reform. And I was wondering if we could talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I have a podcast called Beautiful Anonymous. And the whole thing is I tweet out a phone number And I take one hour long phone calls and the people on the phone stay anonymous. So they feel freedom to talk. And I will say there's one thing that I'm proud of with it. And then I'll speak to the prison reform thing is I've been able, it it is the platform I've had over the past few years that allows me to put other people up on a pedestal and we don't really edit it. Like they just get to tell their stories and ramble and I react and they react. And, like I, I remember years ago we had a, a trans caller and then I saw all these comments from people going, I've been reading about bathroom stuff. And I, this is the first time I heard somebody actually speak to it in their own words and been able to have some of that stuff. And it's, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the show. And yeah, we had a um, a call years ago that made my jaw drop from a woman who was 4 days away from reporting herself to a federal penitentiary she had a 4 year stint she got addicted to meth and then got sucked into meth distribution and like i'm i'm forgetting if it was specifically like a cartel started using her house as like a stopover point but it was ba- it was, it was basically some high-level meth distributors made her house kind of a safe house for them. And it would be like she'd be in one bedroom. She described like being in her bedroom and then the bedroom down the hall that they were using, hearing like people getting brutalized and beaten up and stuff. Like heavy stuff, heavy stuff.
0: That's so sad.
1: It was, yeah. And, and she had this... The fans of the show found it controversial because she had this perspective where she's like, I'm cleaned up now. Uh, My boyfriend, who is a part of this, he's already in prison. I'm going to go to prison and I'm going to use it as a time to pay my penance and try to rehabilitate and see if this system that claims to be rehabilitation can help me. And um, some people were like, hey, like you were distributing meth. Like you don't get to be a hero on this podcast. And I was like, "Eh, I, I try very hard not to judge. And it seemed like she really, really wanted to not only change her ways, but find ways to actively push back and regain some ground with, in response to knowing that she really probably hurt some people bad. Um, and then what we've done is each year since, we've been able to do a follow-up phone call with this person whose name I don't know. I've never met her, seen an image of her and she's in prison so we've been able to check in once a year throughout her four-year prison stint and she she just was released recently we found out my producer has her info obviously but it's kept away from me and just found out he just looked into whatever system it is in her state that allows you to sort of see where someone's at and she's no longer in the system so hopefully we're able to talk again one more time but she was able to tell me some things about what it was like inside prison that I found so disgusting and so sad. Uh, Namely, one thing I didn't know that I'm sure many people do, and that is not news to a large segment of your listeners, but she said, you know, we are forced to work, but we are not allowed to use the money we make to buy products except from the prison store. It's horrible. And they do not... These jobs do not pay enough for you to live with dignity. So you, if you don't have family members who can kick you money, you can't buy things like shampoo the entire time you're in prison. You can't buy things like a, a toothpaste that's not garbage. Like they'll give you a toothpaste that's garbage. And if you want to you wanna buy some uh, Colgate, you're working a job that pays you fifteen cents an hour, and they're selling the Colgate for double what it would go for on a shelf in a pharmacy outside. And I'm sitting here, I'm going, man, that is actual slavery.
0: It's yeah, actual slavery.
1: It it relates back to I'm I'm I am very very passionate about being pro union. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in uh, two different unions, WGA and SAG, and. Though I am not claiming that those unions are the same as being, you know, a coal miner or working in a steel foundry, but the WGA in particular, strong union. I think the first union that came out and said we don't want to be in the AFL-CIO with police unions anymore. I think WGA East might have been the first ones to say that.
0: That's so cool. Uh,
1: but then you you think about what's going on in prisons. I'm going. That's the company store. That's that's how that's how. That's how coal companies used to hold miners hostage. Well, We're going to only pay you in a currency that's not real currency, and you can only spend it at the store we own, and we own the house that you live in. Prisons are literally modeled after a thing that had to be broken and made illegal so that workers weren't held as slaves. It's it's just such a one-to-one analogy that she was telling me about it, and I was going, oh, my God. Like I, I understand. I understand that prisons are not what they claim to be and that you don't have to look into them very much to understand that there's major aspects of evil and the idea that there's for profit prisons just is so weird but she was able to explain it in her own words and it it really made me feel like holy shit this is this is one that I wish I wish more people um more people, I wish this was a fight that was being fought to a degree that it was reaching, reaching people like me and the people around me a little bit more visibly than it is, because it's so, it was so fucked up to hear about it.
0: Yeah, and you know, this year with COVID, I mean, like, or 2020, like the, the, however disgusting the conditions in prison were before, which was l- literally, like, mm-hmm. absolutely inhumane, you know, then put on top of that, like, almost no protection from COVID, you know, or actually no protection, you know, no social distancing. And so, like, on top of a situation in which no human being should be forced to live in the first place, you know, they a-, a sentence for perhaps a very small like drug infraction like all of a sudden it is, is a, a potential death sentence I mean it's just I, I'm hoping that um, you know since 2020 like more people have become aware of these issues but I definitely think that you know it is as you noted like so much out of our field of, of vision that it's you know it's kind of um it's it's a it's an uphill battle because people don't see this stuff
1: it's it's not on the tip of many people's tongues uh, yeah. some people certainly. But the way it ties into so many of the other issues that we are fighting for is pretty profound when you when you hear things like that, you know when you go it's not just that you're sitting in a prison cell, it's that you're being put in things like solitary confinement, which studies show that it actually drives you insane it It is actually a thing that makes you mentally ill um the idea that like you said like our attitude is just like well they're they're prisoners they did stuff bad let them catch covid they don't get vaccines it's like oh that's that's cruel that's cruelty the idea that there's so many people in there on marijuana convictions even in states where it's now been decriminalized and they're not getting out you go that's i have a friend if and on the rare on the Dim possibility that any of your your listeners were fans of my old TV show.
0: Oh, I'm sure that many were actually. It <laughs> may, may
1: be, maybe, and I'll also say too. I have been very shocked and extremely flattered that between the TV show and especially my podcast, my podcast, the biggest bulk of people who listen are are um, are women, and specifically women who are. 30 and above and this podcast that's all about empathy and telling stories has been embraced so hard and i always i i laugh because i'm like i always was someone who was like man i was like the underground king who was like always about like the the underdogs who feel like no one's speaking for them and i was the one standing up being like fuck that like however how has my podcast been embraced by this totally different audience and i'm going oh it's not the punk rock kids with green hair anymore but if you want to talk about underdogs who feel like they're not given a voice yeah a lot of it is maybe moms at this point like talk about the people who are maybe most pissed about being ignored oh that is still my audience it's just a different wing of it so anyway uh my friend murph who was on my show and if anybody viewed it they'll remember murph he was the announcer great part of the show he had major addiction issues growing up in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And he uh, went before a judge who gave him a sentence. And that judge was named Mark Shivarella, who if you've ever heard about the Kids for Cash controversy of the judge who went, was taking kickbacks from private boot camps and prisons to, I did to hear give about that. kids severe sentences, that judge started doing that maybe three or four months after Murph was in front of him. So I have a personal friend who was so close to being sold to a fucked up boot camp because prisons make money and they're paying off a judge the way that prosecutors in our country are prioritized to win regardless of the truth and their jobs are based on that. It's a really fucked up system that I've become pretty passionate about. Um, for sure. I also, if I may, I also want to mention Murph has this new podcast called Murph Myers Self-Medicated all about the harm reduction movement. And that's another thing that I'm, I'm, I'm very into because I've had multi... New Jersey heroin is a very big problem. My understanding is that it comes off a lot of the ports <clears throat> in Nork in and Elizabeth. And therefore it's really... Omnipresent, And I've had very good friends die from it. And Murph is fighting hard for the movement of heroin. Heroin, heroin addicts are addicts. They're not junkies. They're not trash. It doesn't have to be called turkey. And the harm reduction movement is really fascinating. And he's teaching me a lot about it via his podcast. So those are some of the things I care about. I'm not just a dude who talks about lawn care in my act. <laughs> I get mad. I get mad at things.
0: <laughs> We've talked about harm reduction on the show um, before. And yeah, we have a good episode on it. I'm just, I'm very, very, very glad to see this issue moving more into the mainstream and people starting to talk about substance use disorder in, in terms of like, yeah, this is, you know, this is not something that makes people worthless or bad or, yeah. you know, it's like... People deserve help. People deserve to be treated with dignity and kindness. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm very much glad to see the conversation kind of shifting in that direction.
1: Uh, yeah, and one of the things that blew me away in his podcast, he had an interview with, um, like, uh, someone who works in the field who pointed out, you know, a lot of people started paying attention to the opioid crisis when it hit the suburbs, when yeah. suburban kids started dying, and. That cracked open a lot of the stuff we've learned since. And he's like, but you know what else happens in the suburbs? This not-in-my-backyard attitude about methadone clinics. Yeah. So it's like, so you have your kids dying, but you're so worried about your property value that if they want to get a thing that helps them, they have to go to, like, an industrial area or a a city that's, uh, you know, a, a, a city that's maybe not view, viewed not as not as safe you know like so you hide the treatment even though people are dying in your backyard things like that really um drive me nuts especially my actually my best friend from childhood um died of a heroin overdose so it, it that one it really gets me mad really gets me mad the more i've learned about it Um, i am so sorry
0: to hear that (laughs)
1: no it was years ago it was years ago but i I remember and i actually to be fully honest i suffer from an extreme amount of guilt because i had gone away to college and we we grew up in the same town went to different high schools started growing apart i go to college we're just less and less in touch and then i heard man he's fallen into addiction oh he stole a bunch of stuff from his mom's house Oh, like he disappeared for a while and and you, you hear all these things and then I would meet kids from his town. I went to a state school. So you're meeting all other Jersey kids. And I'd say, oh, I know a kid from that town. What's his name? And I'd say his name. They'd go, oh wow, you're friends with him. I'd go, oh man. Like, And I, I ran into him in 2004 on the street, on, on Bloomfield Avenue in Montclair, New Jersey. Jersey people know it. It's a huge shopping area. And he was like, oh my God. I was like, dude, how you been? And, He's like, I'm doing pretty good now, man. And he goes, Yeah, we should hang out. And I gave him my number. And I remember walking away going, I can't hang out with him, man. Like, I'm hearing all this stuff that he's stealing and this and that. And then last time I saw him was judging him. And I don't, you don't get that back, you know? I don't get that back. So it totally rewired my brain as far as like, Yeah, like you got to sit here and have some guilt of, what if I was the old friend who didn't judge him? Would it have helped? I don't know. I mean, probably not, but it could have. And I dropped the ball. And uh, it's why I I pay a lot of attention to to things like my friend's harm reduction podcast and want to shout it out because, uh, and, and I've talked with addicts on my podcast too. And it's, those are hard conversations, really hard conversations, but you don't want people living like pariahs and having to you know cop drugs in some abandoned building and maybe use a dirty needle how does that help how's it helping anyone it doesn't help anyone it, it doesn't nothing. help
0: anyone at all it does i mean it's just you know it's um, and, and the the consequences of the way that we treat addicts are are far reaching. Like just the fact that it's constantly excuse, uh, used as an excuse for why homeless people should not be given housing like all of the stigma about addiction is like oh well they're just drug addicts anyway which is not true in many many cases but just even saying that it's like oh so it's actually fine that this person doesn't have a place to sleep because of that you know
1: right you create like a pariah class yeah like a scarlet letter have you ever been um do you know about the oh what do they call it The McDonald's on 8th Ave near Penn Station.
0: I don't know about that one.
1: Oh, it has a name. There's this name for it. It's a wild story. There is a McDonald's on 8th Ave, like between maybe like 36th and 37th. So you know New York City. Like for any listeners who aren't familiar with New York City, that's, this is not a fringe area. Like you're between Penn Station and Port Authority. Like you're... This is the middle of Manhattan and it's right near a methadone clinic, maybe underneath one or right around the corner. And it's this weirdly known thing that if you go into that McDonald's, um, there will be people nodding off and there will be people selling drugs and the bathroom will be, it will have multiple people in it like using drugs. I don't know if this is still the case, but even as of a couple of years ago, there was a times article about it and, uh, it's a, very much a tangent off of what we're talking about. My understanding also is that there's a deal cabbies have in New York where McDonald's has basically said... um if you need to use a bathroom, like we can't just constantly have cabbies running in having like diarrhea emergencies. <laughs> so please just use that McDonald's. Like that's the diarrhea and drugs McDonald's. It has a name. I, oh, I wish I could remember the it. The
0: diarrhea McDonald's.
1: The diarrhea. Yeah. The, the diarrhea and uh, Oxy McDonald's. What is the... I, I gotta just Google it real quick if you don't mind.
0: No, that's absolutely fine. I mean I you it's know, we've had a lot wild of wild story. We've had a lot of we've covered a lot of ground, um, on this particular episode, but I'm I'm glad to see us kind of wrapping it up on a on a note about diarrhea because it's really important yes. that we be They call
1: it the zombie McDonalds because when you go in there's so many people nodding off that it looks like a zombie invasion. It's it's, it's crazy. And it's crazy.
0: Whatever is happening there, whatever people are consuming, it certainly cannot be worse than consuming McDonald's. <laughs> like, that's true. There's nothing I put healthy. I McDonald's in my body, and it's a uh, yes. You're yeah.
1: eating McDonald's. You're using heavy drugs. There's diarrhea everywhere. Yeah. It's uh. That's maybe the cause. I need to go to bat for most on this. Is let's uh. Let's get that McDonald's at least up to McDonald's uh, standard level, which is not a high bar. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure.
0: Well, Chris, sure. so where can our listeners find you, check out your special, follow you online?
1: I'm a, I'm on Instagram at Chris Geth and Twitter at Chris Gethard and ChrisGeth.com. And as far as the special goes, um, if you have an Apple TV or a Roku, you have an app that it's on there. So if you just check out i mean I, you don't even have to follow me just june 1st it's out if you want to check out my uh my instagram and like i said uh, amazon is the big one they're pushing but i'm smart enough to know that on a socialist uh friendly podcast that uh you don't you don't push amazon <laughs> Well, I, I'm I mean, not th- I'm not thrilled about it either that that's the one that they are, are pushing hardest. But yeah, think, you know, those apps like Tubi and stuff like, like it's on yeah. Tubi. It's on like those ones. Those ones where you're like, what is this? How'd this get on my Apple TV?
0: Well, OK, so to our listeners, Chris Gathard, so funny. Please watch his special on Tubi.
1: It's yeah, I think it's on Tubi. Check I it out. I can't wait everybody. to see it. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> call Tubi. me the king, the king of Tubi. Yeah. The king of Tubi. Support Tubi. Yeah. i know nothing about them or their morals but it yeah. can't be worse than amazon i
0: feel like the way that like things are like the the ceo of tubi is gonna come out tomorrow saying something like super racist like immediately after we publish this episode <laughs> and i'm gonna be like oh my yeah. god sorry it was after this conversation but yeah
1: yeah i mean that's how it goes right yeah. but it was a pleasure to be here it was sorry. a pleasure
0: to talk with you
1: I I I gener I apologize too much in my life but I feel like this one may have been rambly and
0: No, it's really good. It was great to talk to you.
1: Yes, likewise.
0: Likewise. Thank, Thank you so much, Chris. It. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash replyguys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Framgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel.